Number one.
I want to welcome each one tonight to our Sunday evening service. As you are probably aware, we're going to be talking about building the kingdom in our vocation. Uh, and one of the things I should mention up front is that, you know, when we think of vocation, we usually think of this side of the aisle. We have a vocation that we're, you know, going after or whatever. But maybe not so much on the ladies' side. I think in a bigger picture, one of the things that I really uh, care about or think about is how all of life could be a part of building the kingdom. Sometimes we have our spiritual activities over here and then our other activities over here and they don't, you know, kind of, they don't coincide enough. And so one of the things that I, I, uh, I really hope for more in my life is that is that all of life can flow together so that church and mission and kingdom building and vocation are all intertwined. And uh, hopefully we can get a vision for that even if we don't have a specific vocation that we're pursuing. So for the order of the service, I'm going to open up with a few thoughts just to kind of uh, share some of the inspiration that I've had as I've thought about this. And then Aaron is going to be sharing from his perspective. So what, I've, what we've done is we had asked three men to share uh, how they see their vocation tying in with building the kingdom. Uh, it was going to be Aaron, Paul Fisher, and Sam. Uh, but Sam said his family wouldn't allow him to be here. So uh, it's to, Aaron's going to be coming up after I'm finished here. And then Paul Fisher will be sharing. And then I'll come up and kind of close it. And I'll ask uh, someone to close in prayer by one of the pastors, maybe John Lewis. You could think about closing in prayer. And if you want to have a few thoughts, that's fine too, but whatever. So, uh, <clears throat> I'm going to start. Uh, recently, we, were, we had a Bible study, and uh, Mark, Mark Nisley was sharing uh, about we're starting to study in the book of Matthew and he was starting with the theme of the kingdom of heaven <clears throat> and as he, as he thought about that he said it, it's almost like the kingdom is an alternate reality in our world uh, where as people of God's kingdom we live in this other world sort of in this alternate reality and that, that description kind of stuck with me, an alternate reality. Um, and that can be, <laughs> okay, let me keep going. So I, I think one of, the, one of the ways that I think about our own culture, our own, our own social structure as a people, is that we can kind of have this bubble. Like we're in, we live in this bubble, we work with people in the bubble, we go to church with the people, we play volleyball with the people or softball or whatever. And so we're, we're kind of in this, you know, Amish Mennonite bubble. Um, all of our neighbors are in that world and, and that's kind of what life revolves around. We engage with people who are like us. Um, and, and in a sense, maybe that is somewhat the alternate reality that we live in, as broken as it might be. But what can happen is we, we live in this bubble and we never really rub shoulders with other people that much. Um, we do maybe, but we kind of, you know, not very intentionally. Um, <clears throat> and so here we live in this bubble where there's a lot of blessing and a lot of grace and a lot of God's, 
uh, divine grace has been given to us and, and there's so many good things and yet what about the people outside the bubble? What about the people outside of that kingdom, outside of the kingdom of heaven, outside of the reality? How can we uh, all be engaged in inviting people into that? Um, and if you think about it, a lot of the time, as men especially, we, uh, we spend a lot of time in vocation. And so how can that time of our lives be used to uh, build the kingdom? And so I'm, I'm going to look at just three aspects first, uh, quickly here, hopefully quickly, uh, of building the kingdom in vocation. And the first one is our vocation gives us the opportunity to interact with people outside of our bubble. Uh, maybe it's through uh, customers that we work with, or we're building a pole barn for someone, or we're detailing a car for someone, or we're work, you know. But the, the workplace can be a, a place where we rub shoulders with people outside of our little bubble. Um, and I, one of the things I like about the work that that, that I've chosen to do and the people that we hire, I, I like to hire from within the bubble, but then I also like to hire people from outside and bring the two together. And that has been a real opportunity for me to engage with people who don't know the Lord. They don't know Jesus. They don't know who he is. And so it creates opportunities for, for us to model Jesus and to talk about him. Um, it's also why I like living in the city because it gives us opportunity to rub shoulders with people uh, who are of a very different um, mindset and background. And I'm I, I'm not saying we can't we don't do that out here, but you know there's I'm sure many of us also have neighbors um, that that are from another perspective that are living in another world. And no matter where we are, uh, we have to be deeply intentional about engaging with those people. One of the things that surprised me when I lived in Israel, I was a missionary now, right? Uh, one of the things that surprised me when I was there is how easy it was to live in our little bubble, live in our world, you know. We, had to, we still had to wash the dishes, we still had to cook, we still had to do the, do the laundry. You know, all of that stuff takes a lot of time. And so we can live in the middle of all these people that don't know the Lord, and work among them, but completely miss them. So, but vocation does give us an opportunity to intentionally engage with those people outside of our bubble. Uh, I think another thing that our vocation can do, or business can do, is allow us, or give us a, a space where we can represent the kingdom to people, where we can show them a new way of life, a new way of thinking. And I, would, I will say that I think oftentimes we, we come to align our, our thoughts on vocation and business and all of this with a pretty worldly mindset. It's all about money, right? We've got to make as much money and save as much money and maybe give as much. Probably not. Yeah, we learned about that this morning. But it's, it's really about um, making money and we kind of follow sort of a worldly mindset in some of this. Uh, but, but one of the things that, that I think... Jesus teaches us is that uh, his kingdom is, is made up of completely different rules. And that's why he said we have to repent. He said you have to repent, you have to think differently because the kingdom of heaven is in hand. I just came across this verse recently. It said, the meek will inherit the earth. 
Uh, and that's just one example. Like, what in the world? The meek will inherit the earth. We usually think it's the powerful and the strong and the, you know, the people who, who know how to run things. They are the ones who inherit the earth. They are the ones. But Jesus said the meek will inherit the earth. Anyway, Jesus' thinking is very different. One of, the, one of the scriptures that has deeply challenged me in life and in business especially is Luke chapter 3. Uh, if you want to turn there, that'd be great. Turn to Luke chapter 3, and I'm just going to share a little bit here from some of the things that have inspired me as I've been thinking about business and how that intersects with the kingdom. And one of the things that I think vocation that is run by a different set of standards or by Jesus' standards, one of the things that that can do is prepare prepare the way of the Lord. Okay, so sometimes we're not just inviting people to church, right? We're not saying, okay, you, we're not leading them in the sinner's prayer. We're not necessarily always uh, seeing lots of people repent and turn to Jesus and follow him. But some of the things that we do, some of the ways that we live, can prepare the way of the Lord, right? And so we have John the Baptist here, and his calling was actually to prepare the way of the Lord. In verse 4 of chapter 3, it says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, jumping in the middle there, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Now when we prepare the way of the Lord, we're kind of opening people's eyes. We're opening their hearts. We're preparing them uh, to accept the message of Jesus. And that's what John was doing. And then he says, this is how it happens. How do you prepare the way of the Lord? Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Now, what are the mountains and what are the valleys in the world that keep people from seeing Jesus? That What are the crooked things in the world that need to be made straight? What are the things out of balance that need to be put in balance so that people's hearts can be prepared for the Lord? Um, and then it says in verse 6, when this happens, when these mountains come down, the valleys are raised up, the crooked places are made straight, then he says, all flesh will see God's salvation, the salvation of God. Now, that's pretty strong words. It says, if this happens, all flesh is going to see God's salvation. It's going to stand out. People are going to say, wow, look at this. This is something extremely different. This is something that, that just stands out. It's very different. Um, then said he to the multitude that came <clears throat> forth to be baptized of him, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come. <clears throat> he says, bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance. Begin not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. But now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Now remember, we're talking about preparing the way of the Lord. How do you prepare the way of the Lord? Um, so that all flesh can see his salvation. Um, verse 10, and the people ask him, saying, he just tells them to repent. And they ask him, saying, what shall we do? And he answered and said unto them, he that hath two coats. Okay, we're preparing the way of the Lord. He says, he that hath two coats, give the one away. Let him impart to him that hath none. He that hath meat, let him do likewise. Uh, then he goes on. And the publicans came to be baptized and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? And he said unto them, exact no more than that which is appointed you. That has to do with economics, with money. He says, don't charge more 
than what you should be charging. <laughs> be fair, okay? Uh, and, and then in verse 14, the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, And what shall we do? And he said unto them, Do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. So if we want to prepare the way of the Lord, there's three economic lessons here. Uh, one is give half of your stuff away. <laughs> if you have two cars, give one away. If you have two coats, give one away. If you have $50,000 in your bank account, give 25000 away. Um, to somebody who doesn't have it, who doesn't need it, or, or who needs it more than you do. Uh, <laughs> so we all, want to, we all want people to see God's salvation, right? Well, he's telling us here how this happens, how we can lower the mountains and make the crooked places straight and prepare the way for the Lord. It's interesting to me that, all, that three of these things are related to economics and to money. Um, and that's why I think if we can, can step outside of our bubble, of our American mindset, of our Western uh, capitalistic mindset, and say, okay, what would heaven look like? Jesus said we should pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What would heaven look like if I have an extra something and my neighbor doesn't? You know, how, how could we begin to think in different ways about economics so that those mountains can come down and those valleys can be raised up and the crooked places can be made straight and people can see God's salvation? They begin to see it. It prepares the way for the Lord to come. Anyway, I could talk for a while about that, but I probably should move on. A uh, couple of articles that I've read as I've been preparing for this and thinking about it. One of them was in the Calvary Messenger, just the last one that you got. If you don't read the Calvary Messenger, please pick that one up and read it. You can also find it online. But it's, a, it's talking about employment and work and meaning and all that in, in work. And one of the things he said, and I think these are the kinds of things that as people of God, we should be thinking about. He says, are Christian employers willing to reduce profits by paying above market labor rates so fathers avoid excessive overtime? Now that's a different idea, isn't it? So we, uh, we used to live on farms and fathers would work with their children and, and now we have all these jobs and businesses and we work 50, 60 hours. Um, maybe a different approach in a kingdom approach an approach that would lower mountains and raise valleys and make crooked places straight for people outside the faith would be to pay above market wages so that people can, can uh, have more time for their families. All right. So the first one I mentioned here, I, I said there's three aspects that I want to look at. The first one is it allows us to engage with people outside of our bubble. And the second one is that it allows us to prepare the way of the Lord by implementing uh, uh, things in our work and, and business that is different than just the norm, that is aligned with Jesus, that uh, can help prepare the way for the Lord to come. And there's more I could say there. But, but the one that I, I think I really want to highlight tonight, and I'm hoping Aaron and some of the others will highlight this as well, or Aaron and Paul will, is the sanctity of work itself. So I think sometimes we say, yes, okay, we want to work so that we can, you know, um, work alongside people and, and invite them into the kingdom. And we can, you know, there's, there's those aspects of it where we have uh, people who do business as mission and they go to other countries and they open a business so that they can be a missionary there in that country. Um, and those are all, I think, good things. But 
What about the work itself? Is there something about work that is actually, uh, what is it, part of being godlike? Is, is there something about building fence posts <laughs> that actually builds the kingdom or building websites or, you know, is there something that, that, that ties in there? Um, we spend a lot of time doing this, and so, you know, I'm kind of hoping there is. I'm hoping there's some connection there. But here's a few thoughts I'd like to throw out at the beginning here, and I suppose uh, the others will have more to add to this. I want to take us to Genesis chapter 1. And uh, we see God creating the world, right? He creates something, and then he says, it's good. And the word he uses is tov. He says, it's good, it's good, it's good, right? He, he creates this beautiful, perfect world. And then in verse 26 of chapter 1, and, God, and, and it says, And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And now look what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to work, Right? Now, this is the perfect world that God created. And look what he gives man to do. He says, uh, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Now, there was only two of them. How were they going to have, how, how, how were they gonna, you know, have control over all the earth, dominion? But that is, that is his instruction. He says, he's creating man to give them dominion, to give them authority, to give them like he gave them the earth and he said, do something with it. Make something of it. Build something. <laughs> Isn't, I don't know, that's kind of amazing. This, this is before the fall. This was a perfect world. God gave them the earth and he said, do something with it. Build something. Take dominion. Subjugate it. Um, have dominion. Prevail against it. Uh, the, the meaning of the word in, in the Hebrew to reign over it. And then he says, be fruitful and multiply and some of the other things there. Uh, I just think that is an important thing for us to consider. That work and taking dominion over the earth was a part of God's original plan. I think sometimes we feel like if we'd really be doing what God wants, we'd all leave Lancaster County and we'd probably go be missionaries uh, somewhere else. <laughs> Um, but in, in this, in this uh, story here, we see that work was part of the original plan. Genesis 2.15 then, it says, And God, and the Lord God, took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Those are some fascinating words. The word dress it, uh, the word dress uh, is, is, is tied in with worship. Uh, when... God said to Pharaoh, let my son go that he may serve me. It's the same word as dressing the land. And I don't even know what that all means. But I think there's, it, it, it feels like maybe somehow God is tying in this care of his world, making something of it. Work uh, is tied in with worship. I've you know, heard that term, work is worship. I never quite tied it this closely with what the scripture says before I started studying for this. But another verse in Deuteronomy 6.13, it says, Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him, and shalt swear by his name. Again, it's the same word as is used here for dressing the, the garden. I don't know if I know what all that means, but I think it's fascinating that the same word is used in relation to worship and to 
taking care of God's perfect creation. So work uh, itself, okay, work itself, actually building things, doing things, is a part of God's original plan for humanity. Now, and so in that, I think work is a reflection of God. That's the second thing I like to say. Work is a reflection of God. God was creating. He was looking at things. He said, this is good. He's creating things. Um, and so in a sense, when we're working, we are, reflect we are a reflection of God. We are bearing his image. In one book that I read recently, the author said, we can't understand what we're doing at work until we see that all of our professions are born out of the good work of God. Artists and innovators like God create things. That's Tov. Lawyers and accountants name realities, bring order to chaos. That's Tov. Builders make things that didn't used to exist, and plumbers fix things that are broken. They are both Tov. As we engage with work, we are reflecting our creator. Uh, and you look at the, the interesting things God created. I don't know. He, he's incredibly creative. Some of the animals, some of the... Uh, sometimes we watch things on YouTube with our children and just these interesting animals that God created. Like, why did he have to, you know, just creativity, uh, you know, uh, unbelievable. Uh, and just nature, if you enjoy nature, it's amazing what all God created, a very creative kind of God. So when we, uh, ref when we, when we work, uh, I think we are a reflection of that. Now, no doubt we work in a different kind of world than the Garden of Eden, right? So. We work in a broken world. In fact, if you read then in, in Genesis 3, where it talks about a, after the fall, um, God actually says, Cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns and thistles shall I bring forth to thee. So we see something changed. There's sweat, there's hard work, and so we're certainly not living in the garden anymore. Uh, things have been broken, and, and things are not the way they used to be. Um, but I think the next point I'd like to make is I think that our work, uh, as we engage with our vocation, we are called to, to, to be restoring that brokenness. I think uh, Jesus came to save, right? And sometimes we think he came to save in some sense that we get to heaven when we die. Uh, I always find it interesting, John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the, and the word world is cosmos. Now the cosmos is the created order. So God so loved the cosmos that he gave his only begotten son. Now, I don't know what that all means, but that's fascinating. That God so loved the cosmos, the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the cosmos, but that the cosmos through him might be saved. And so I think there's an aspect where God, Jesus entered into the world to, to, to bring, to reverse the curse that happened in the garden, to reverse that. And when we engage physically in God's world and make things right that were wrong and build beautiful things, and we are engaging in that process of restoration. I think that's how it is. That's how I'm kind of thinking about it. Um, so our work should be about restoring brokenness and reclaiming space where Satan has wrought destruction. I think about the scripture that says, whatever your hands find, hand finds to do, do it with your might. Do it as unto Jesus, as unto God, not unto men. And I think that's what we are called to do. 
So vocation um, is a place where we reflect the good news to the world that is so in need of his restoration. I think I'm going to stop there. I'll maybe have a few thoughts at the end. But Aaron, if you are ready, did we have a prayer yet? I forget. I should have prayed probably. That would have been a good way to start, right? All right, I'm going to just have a prayer, and then we'll hand it over to you, Aaron. Father, uh, we are so grateful that you have called us into your bubble, into your kingdom, into your life, into your hope. And Lord, we want to live lives of purpose and meaning and joy and hope. And we want to live lives that are lives that restore and bring blessing. And we pray, God, that we could do that in our work and in all of our life, that we would be people who... Uh, live our lives so that others can know you and so that we can live as restorers and as bearers of good tidings to the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Good evening, everyone. Small plug-in for marriage here. It's just wonderful to be able to look back in the audience, and there's just like one person that is very encouragingly smiling up, and you got this husband. So anyway, marriage is great in that way. So thanks, Christy. <laughs> um, I'm not going to get you to raise your hands, but I'm very curious how many of you have almost or have either administered or received a spanking when you were in your workplace. Because I didn't quite, but I almost did. When I was nine years old, I worked on a produce farm for Eli Lapps. And one day, me and like two of his sons, one of his sons, were supposed to get a job done. And he came around and he saw that we were not getting our work done. And so he told his son to go get the whole left lid. A little while later, we heard a smack smack in the corner. And I got saved because I wasn't his son. But that is, interestingly enough, my first memory of vocation or of working out, um, working out for someone else. And my parents had sent me there because we didn't really have enough of work at home. And so they sent us out to work on farms or produce places or whatever so that we learned the value of work. I didn't get paid any money. I got paid some birthday and Christmas gifts, got some, some good tools from that. Uh, but that's all I got as far as pay. And I think back on that, and I'm really thankful for that because I, I think that helped shape how I view work because it didn't have anything to do with what kind of work I did or how much I got paid to do that work, but it mattered how well I did the work that I was supposed to do or how well I listened to the boss, which is Eli at that point, and, and was respectful to him. And I think that developed the idea of work that I have in my mind right now. And so as many of you know, right now I work for Superior Plastic Products 
or Keylink Fencing and Railing, they're kind of sister companies. And I'm a part of a seven-person maintenance team, and we have two, primarily, two primary responsibilities. The first one is to keep the machines running as well as possible, as consistently as possible. And the second one is to develop a maintenance program that will continue that, that will allow that to keep happening and make it easier. And so although my authority comes only from the need to keep those, machining, those machines running well, I get to interact with the people that bought the machines, the engineers that made the machines, all the way to the people that work their 10-hour days just running the machines. And so I get to interact with a lot of different people, um, which I really love. And one of the things I also enjoy about working for Superior Plastic Products specifically is that one of their goals is to hire people that are underprivileged. So some of them have been in prison before, some of them haven't been able to hold jobs, but they give people a chance because they want to improve people's lives. And so I get to work with some very interesting people. And so I'll share just several stories throughout, um, that way you get a better picture as well. So I really appreciated what Chris shared there in the beginning with vocation is something to help us build the kingdom of God. And what I want to share tonight is to convince me and to convince you that our work, or as Chris said, on both sides of the aisle here, whether it's we spend most of our days being a homemaker or being a mechanic or a business owner or a manager of some kind or a consultant or whatever it is, but that work is what we can contribute to the kingdom of God and is maybe actually our greatest contribution to the kingdom of God. And so that's what I want to convince us of. And to do that, I have three truths that I want to share with you um, that that have been with me and that I think show us um, how important our, our calling or our vocation is in our calling. One of the things that I've struggled with for a long time is the fact that we can't get away from working. We have to have, I mean, almost, you have to have a job of some kind and that usually takes up the majority of our time. We spend more time at work than we do with our family, or than we do at church, or than we do with the community. And so why would we have this, this largest chunk of our time be something that to the kingdom is kind of worthless? And so I've struggled with that, and I've thought that, well, maybe I should be a missionary, or, and that was one of the reasons I went to camp. Maybe I could go to camp, and then, then I would have contributed to the kingdom of God. Um, because I realize that we have, we have kind of two main commandments, two main purposes. The first one is to love God and to worship God. That's the first one. And the second one is to love our neighbors and to reach out to our neighbors in outreach. And so how do those two come together? We spend most of our time just working and making money, but yet the two greatest commandments are separate from that? Like, how does that make sense? And so... Instead of, instead of bringing those together, at least in my life so often, I've had kind of, in the hierarchy of, of my time, I've had spent the most of my time at my job or at work, and the second most amount of time being with family and church and friends. 
And the third, somehow making time for that daily time with God, that, that devotional time, the Bible reading and prayer. And then, in the midst of all that busyness and all of that, uh, those distractions, somehow finding time yet to fulfill that greatest commandment, which is reaching out to our neighbors. And it doesn't make sense. It's, 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 it's exhausting. And so, that's where these three truths come from that have convinced me that actually those two commandments and our vocation aren't two separate things. They come together somehow. So, the first truth is that work is about me. It's not just about making money. It's not just about giving me something to do or staying out of trouble. It's about me and it's about what it does to me. I remember several years ago when I was standing very nervously, maybe a little bit like I am up here, but standing very nervously outside my boss's office, the owner of our company, and I was nervous because I knew I had to tell him something that I had done that was going to break some trust that he had instilled or that he had in me. And I cared quite a lot about my reputation because in business that's a large part of who you are as an employee is, is trust. And so I was there waiting for him to finish up his paperwork so he could hear what I have to say. After a bit, he looks up and beckons me to come in. He was a little surprised to see me there. And he asked me what I wanted. And an important detail of this story was that years ago, probably three years before that, um, so it would have been like six years ago or something, I was in charge of the snacks at work. Just a, a very good job, I guess, for a 14, 15-year-old, and they had a big box about yay big with a little money box in the corner, and my job was to make sure there was enough of chips and snacks and sugary things for the workers to eat. The problem was that then, as a little bit now, I was a little bit tight, and I thought spending money on snacks was a, uh, a waste of money. Still do, actually. And so instead of going without snacks, I would occasionally just kind of eat snacks. And I'm not sure how. I'm pretty sure I probably had some sort of logic about how that was okay. But it wasn't, and so I'd recognized that I'd stolen. And so I was there telling my boss that. And so we had a good conversation, I told him, and I ended up writing him a check. It was over $100 of snacks that I had stolen and felt really good about that conversation. But that, and you might think that's a little trivial, but I've never forgotten what it felt like to be responsible for something, to know I had done wrong, and to be responsible for making it right as a Christian. And that little incident was one push in the direction of the wisdom in, in Proverbs that says, whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. So what's the question that we're answering again? How is my work strengthening me? My work is about me. It's about what it's doing for me. And so part of our jobs, part of our occupation is how is it strengthening me? So that's one of the questions that helps us evaluate what work is, is, or how work is about me. There are many different ways that our occupation can strengthen us, from building our character, gaining helpful skills, 
uh, learning to have relationships with a whole diversity of people. Right now, my greatest challenge at work is trying to learn teamwork, believe it or not. And to be honest, I'm not actually real good at it, unfortunately. I'm much better at, you know, taking charge of something or just getting it done real quick and, and putting in the sweat to, to get something done. But my boss challenged me to, to in the, we have three guys working at the plant where I'm working, to build a team out of that. Not three individual people that are kind of doing their own thing, but a team. And with that, one of them is a past retirement age person who wears an oxygen tank half the time, and he doesn't like technology. And the other guy is a middle-aged man who um, has a seeming incapacity to stay cleaned up and to clean up after himself. And as you know, that's, uh, in my mind, that's almost next to godliness if you uh, stay cleaned up and clean up after yourself. And so how do you build a team out of that? And so I'm working on that right now. But I think that we would all agree that our churches and our communities need teamwork like that. And here I am getting paid to develop that. And so I think, once again, the question is, how is my work strengthening me? And so I want us to think about that. Think about your job. How is your job strengthening you? Is it building your character somehow? Is it giving you skills that you can use in your church, in your home? Think about that. The second truth that I want to give to you is that work is about others. You probably guessed that one. And the question to evaluate that is how is it reaching out to others? It's about being more than a missionary or an aid worker or a volunteer or whatever box that we've built in our minds to um, say that's truly reaching out. It's about more than all of those. I remember as a young adult, well, I'm kind of still a young adult, but you know what I mean, being probably anywhere from 16 to 21, um, thinking that if only I'd be a missionary, then I could finally feel like I was fulfilled and I could feel like I was living in the center of God's will. Because it's, it's one of the struggles that I've had for years and years already is, is wondering how can I be in the center of God's will? Because God doesn't tell me what to do very well. I went to camp because I wanted to do that, and I thought that that would be a good thing to do, and it turns out later, looking back, that I think God was guiding me to do that, but God hasn't really just told me, I want you to do that, and so, um, wow, I just really lost my train of thought there. Oh, so I always thought that, you know, maybe if I could be a missionary, then I could live in the center of God's will, but can you guess what that looked like in my mind? Usually, it looked like me living in a foreign country in the midst of the locals, living in the kind of houses they lived in and working the kind of work they did. I would pick up my hoe in the morning and walk down the streets with the locals and we'd go to the rice paddies and we would sweat and work hard beside each other all day. and. I would minister to them, show the love of Jesus, and share the gospel with them. Are you seeing a correlation? That's kind of what I get to do every day right now. And I don't need to, I don't need to, uh, I don't need to learn a completely new language to do that. 
I don't need to learn a completely new culture to do that. I don't have to spend the thousands of dollars to transplant me and my family to another place. I get to have that missionary vision right here. And I think, I think that uh, I haven't understood that very well. And I'm still just learning that. And I want to be careful to clarify that I'm not against missionaries at all. God did say that we are to go to all nations, and so mission work is very important. But I think sometimes we miss that mission work is also right here. It's just being intentional with what we're doing, not just working to make money, but treating our own area as a means of mission work. Um, I see that time is moving along, so I will be skipping down through this. Let's go to the third truth. The third truth is work is about God. How, and the question to evaluate that is how is my work worshiping God? So the first one was work is about me, and then work is about others, and the third one is working, or work is about God. How is my work worshiping God? And remember, these three truths are to help us evaluate our work and to, to inspire us to find ways um, to use our job or our occupation or whatever we do during the day to contribute to the kingdom of God. And to be honest, this is a truth that I've struggled with the most because it's easy for me to think of uh, worshiping God while maybe being a farmer because that's what Adam and Eve were asked to do in the garden. They were, you know, tending the plants and watering things. And so I can go with my wife and we can be out in the garden and I can feel really godly about that work because that's what Adam and Eve did and, and they, were, they were perfect back in the day. But it's a lot harder for me to think about worshiping God when I do other sorts of work like fixing a machine or like building a website like Chris was talking about or um, all of the occupations that we have. And, and I still don't really understand this because um, it's a hard one, but I think it has to do with how we view the act of work like Chris was talking about. I think so often I have viewed the act of work as a necessary evil where I have to work to make money. I have to work to support my family. I have to work because, well, just because that's, what expected, that's, what is, that's what's expected of me. And so we look forward to vacations, we look forward to weekends, to evenings where we don't have to work. But I think that's a, a poor view of work. Because beginning with God, while he created the universe, work was a good thing as shown to us by God. He, rest, he worked hard, and then he rested, and he called it good. And Chris read that passage for us. But thinking about work, I think that we worship God when we love as he loves. And I believe that we worship God when we work as he worked, when we put creativity and effort and we strive to make beautiful things, to make useful things like God did when he created the earth. I don't really do a good job of this right now, to be honest, because 
I don't really think about it very much. But I want to start treating my work as an act of worship to God because I think that's, if we're going to use our, our vocations, our work, as a contribution to the kingdom of God, it's important that we're worshiping God through that. It's, it's, remember, it's the largest segment of our time. And so it has to somehow worship God. And so if we're not worshiping God through our work, we're not doing it right. So I want to, when I do maintenance on a machine, I want that machine to work better than it's ever worked before. When I build something that makes someone else's job easier, I want to thank God for the creativity he has given me to do that. When I learn a technical task, like programming a robot, I want to thank God for the ability to learn and to make someone else's job easier. Colossians 3:17 says, Whatever you do, word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I believe that when we do our work, even mundane things like cleaning the shop floor, in the name of the Lord Jesus, we worship God who showed us the act of work in the first place. As a way of, of uh, closing out these last two points, the first one was work is about me. How is it strengthening me? How is it building me? How is it contributing to who I am? And the second one is how is it, how is it uh, or it's about others. How is it reaching out to others? Are we using it as a means of, of serving others, of loving others, of, of um, showing the gospel to others? And the third one here is work is about God. Now I want to read a quote from the theology of the Christian life that talks about our relationship to our, our vocation. It says, The Christian faith is to be lived out not primarily in the activities of the church, which is the realm of the gospel where one receives the forgiveness of sins, but in vocation. Good works belong not so much to the church, to its acts of devotion and its exercises of piety, but to the world, which becomes the arena where faith bears fruit in acts of love. So you could probably pick that apart. It's Take it with a grain of salt. But I think it says something that's really important for us. That the things that we learn in church, the, 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 the food that we gain in church on a Sunday morning, they're not meant to come back the next Sunday necessarily. They're meant so that we can show that good fruit to the world around us as we work. I'm going to read that quote again. So think, think about what it says. The Christian faith is to be lived out not primarily in the activities of the church, which is a realm of the gospel where one receives the forgiveness of sins, but in vocation. Good, work belong, good works belong not so much to the church, to its acts of devotion and its exercises of piety, but to the world, which becomes the arena where faith bears fruit in acts of love. And I think that's reaching out. And I think that's worshiping God with our vocations. So in conclusion, please do not leave here asking yourself, should I be switching jobs right now so that I can contribute more to the kingdom of God? Because honestly, that's what I've done for a long time. When I go to revival meetings and I get all fired up about, I'm going to start being a real Christian. I'm going to I'm going to really put myself into um, the kingdom of God, then immediately, well, I must be in the wrong job because I haven't felt like I've been doing that. And 
I want to encourage you to, instead of that, ask yourselves the three questions that we've been asking. How can I use my job to strengthen me? How can I use my job to reach out to others? How can I use my job to worship God? Because, you see, Jesus comes to us where we are. He doesn't first say, hey, you need to start a new job, and then we'll really work on our relationship. He comes to us where we are, and he starts right there, works with you, and uses what you have to contribute to the kingdom of God. And so all those relationships that you've worked 10 years to build in your job, all those skills that you've developed, you can use all of those for the kingdom of God, and God will help you do that. If you're consistently trying to use your vocation as a part of your calling, and one of these questions just isn't getting answered, then the natural thing to do will be to start questioning job. But that's only after asking these questions, and it's not, it's not happening. One last thing. I imagine when I talk about my work with, with Jesus when I get to heaven, he's likely not going to ask, so Aaron, what did you work? Because Jesus doesn't compare works like that. Instead, he's likely going to ask, so how did you use your work for the kingdom of God? And maybe he'll even ask something like the question that I've been asking. How did it strengthen you? How did it reach out to others? And how did it worship God? What does food have to do with the gospel? Around nine, 9 million people every year die because of hunger. That's 24,000 people per day die because they're hungry. <clears throat> in comparison, there's 34,000 Amish people in Lancaster, PA. Compare those two numbers. 24,000 people die every day because they're hungry. Around 690 million people will go to bed hungry tonight because they don't have enough food. Out of the 9 million people that die every year, every 10 seconds a child dies because they don't have enough food. Switching gears. At least 2.8 million people die every year because of being overweight. That's more than 7,000 people per day die because they eat too much. So what's wrong? What's wrong with food? 24,000 people died yesterday because they didn't have food. 7,000 people died yesterday because they ate too much or they were overweight. The tobacco epidemic is one of the world's biggest health threats, killing more than 8 million people a year around the world. More than 7 million of those deaths are the result of direct tobacco use, while around 1.2 million are the result of non-smoking 
being exposed to secondhand smoke. That means 22,000 people die every day because of tobacco use. That's a big number. With knowing all that and how people suffer, it almost gives me a feeling of desperation. What can I do? How can I help these people? <clears throat> because here we're among the richest people in the world. Here, we're among the richest. Or are we? Are we just rich in food and clothing? First Timothy 6, 17 to 19. Command those who are rich in the things of this life not to be proud, but to place their hope not in such an uncertain thing as riches, but in God, who generously gives us everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share with others. In this way, they will store up for themselves a treasure which, which will be a solid foundation for the future, and then they will be able to win the life which is true life. You see, here God gives us generously the things that we have to enjoy and to give to other people. You see, we can choose not to use tobacco. We don't have to smoke. And we can choose not to overeat. Those are two things that we can choose not to do. But what can we do about the hungry? What can we do about all the hungry people? Jesus said in Mark 14, 7, you will always have the poor with you and anytime you want to, you can help them. But you will not always have me. That was in a new version. <clears throat> so, that brings us to the question, what is more important, physical food or spiritual food? James 2, verse 13. James 2, verse 15 to 17. <clears throat> Suppose there was a brother or sister who needed clothes and don't have enough to eat. What good is there in your saying to them, God bless you, keep warm and eat well, if you don't give them the necessities of life? So it is with faith, if it is alone and includes no action, then it is dead. Did you get it? If you don't feed the poor, you only spread the gospel, you don't have the true gospel. They go hand in hand, food and the gospel. That's what James says. Just this morning, Ivan read in Luke 4.4, 4, and Jesus answered him saying, 
It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Now, why did Jesus have to say that? Well, because if you're poor, if you have bread and clothing and a shelter, you feel rich. But Jesus is saying you need every word of God also. You need spiritual food. So, what do we do? Well, we have a dairy operation, and um, that's my vocation. And I work with Gene Lapp. He's sitting back there, and his wife Marie is over here. And we appreciate them a lot. So, we can work with our family on the farm, and we really enjoy that. On our farm, we work and produce food. And just so you get it straight, Working is not part of the curse. Food isn't either. It was both designed before the fall of man. So enjoy your work. When I get to heaven, I'm still hoping that things will break. Because that way we can fix them. And always when we fix something, we can make it better. I think stuff will break in heaven. We can dis discuss that later. <clears throat> but just keep in mind, when you go to work, it's not because of the curse that you're going to work. But God designed you that way. And ladies, when you make the food, it's not because of the curse that you're doing it, but God wants you to do that. He wants you to feed your family, other people. So on our farm, we produce food. According to the USDA, it's recommended that each person drinks or has two and a half cups of dairy products per day. So on our farm, our cows feed 4,560 people every day. So that's what we do. We feed people. So what are some advantages of living on a dairy farm? I mentioned it already. We can work together as a family. And for us, coming from the Amish, if I may say that, it's been a blessing to have a dairy because we can talk to our siblings who also have a dairy. And that has made some very interesting conversations already. Maybe sometime, some other time we'll talk about that. But one negative thing about living on a dairy that I just can't get over, it's very negative and that is death. Every time a calf or a cow dies, it's just like, mm, why do you have to die? I just, that's part of daring that I don't like. It's very negative. So some things I thought about is a hundred years ago there was 6.5 million people that were farmers. Today there's 2.2 farmers. Now understand that not all of us can be farmers. But what's happening? And, and you don't have to answer it if you don't want to, but what is happening? 
in our churches and in our families. Because we are not as much in the food industry as we used to be. And it seems like politics and the world have more of an effect on us. And I'm not sure why. So maybe you can, uh, we can talk about that some other time. <clears throat> so, what are you going to do when hunger strikes our land? I'm not saying it will, but what would we do if it would? People will almost do anything for food. You can go back in the Bible, and people did almost anything for food. Do you remember what Jesus said when he was um, talking in Matthew 25, verse 35? This is when Jesus was talking about when the children, when his children come home to heaven. Jesus said, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you received me in your home. So the very first thing that Jesus recognizes these people for is, they fed people. They fed the hungry. Our needs are shelter, clothes, food, and water. You all know that probably. So you shouldn't be asking yourself, should I be milking cows? But rather, does the work that you do benefit the kingdom of God? Does the work that you do benefit the kingdom of God. After all, Adam and Eve had an orchard. Cain had vegetables. Abel was a herdsman or had livestock. The sons of Israel had livestock. Jesus' adopted father was a carpenter. Abraham had livestock. In Genesis 18.8, Abraham was 99 years old, and he was pretty spry. He ran out to the flock, got a goat. He took some cream and took some milk and the meat and set the food before the men there under the tree, and he served them himself, and they ate. Now these were three angels that came and visited Abraham before they went to destroy Sodom. And did you ever think about it? These angels ate dairy products. So that makes daring look pretty good, right? <laughs> Not really, but just think about it. They ate dairy products. <clears throat> So let's make it really simple. Use some common sense. Which is more important, spiritual food or physical food? If you don't eat, you will die. If you don't have spiritual food, you will die. 
What I mean is God holds the universe in his hand. If he drops us, we won't make it. So we need God and we need food. And if you don't provide for your own household, 1 Timothy 5.8 says, you're worse than an unbeliever, so we need to work. The Bible makes that clear. So what should we eat? First, if you have a prayer life, you will be a changed person in 10 years. If you have a prayer life, you will be a changed person in 10 years or even tomorrow maybe. Switch to food. If you eat a lot of sugar and a lot of snacks and a lot of soda, you will be a different person also in 10 years. You will have a lot of problems. If you eat healthy, you'll do yourself a favor. So you can't do without food. Remember about a year ago, there was this preacher that left a snake in his church. And by faith, when the snake bites him, he will be healed. The snake bit him and he died. What happened? Didn't he ever have enough of faith? So use some common sense and choose your food. Another example, if you're coming to church and you're a little late and you're in a hurry, you go right through town and you hit a red light and you ask the Lord please to save you while you go through the red light. Is that wise? No, use some common sense and yeah, you got the picture. <clears throat> I had a wise grandfather, Ez Fisher. He died three years ago, I think. I remember when I was about this big. He told us boys a story, and it was very serious. He said one time in their church, one of the churchmen got punished for eating too much food. he got the bellyache. So God has put something in us. If we eat too much, we will be punished. We're going to have some pains. Two questions for us. One, is there anything that affects our loved ones more than our walk with Jesus? Is there anything that affects our loved ones more than our walk with Jesus? Number two, is there anything that affects our loved ones more than how we take care of our temple, which is our body? And that includes a whole host of things, but one thing that affects our life the most probably is the foods that we eat. So is food important? Yes, it is. So I'm going to say what Aaron said. Don't think you should leave here and go milk cows. But do what God wants you to do. Ask God what, you, what he wants you to do. And do that.
Okay, thank you for those thoughts. I was uh, appreciated Aaron's thought there that <clears throat> work actually or vocation is about shaping us. Um, and that's something I can testify to has been good for me. It stretches me when I have to sit with somebody and have a difficult conversation. Like, I don't, how do you do that? How do you have difficult conversations with people? And work through challenges and work through difficulties and bring team members together that are having a hard time. Um, <clears throat> and so it, it stretches us and changes us uh, the, as, we, as we work together with other people. Appreciate that thought. Um, <clears throat> You know, I also appreciated what you shared there, Paul. Just, you know, I think one of the things we tend to feel like maybe is a little bit off limits is to talk about food <laughs> and the kinds of food we eat um, because we are, we kind of want to eat what we want to eat, right? And, and I, I do think that the way that we, the things that we take into our bodies really uh, is important in how we treat our bodies because it is the temple of, of God. Um, I think, uh, as, as I think about this, I um, think of the scripture that says, we are to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And in everything we do, we ought to be doing that. If we're in our vocation, how do we love God in, with our heart? How do we put our heart and soul into what we're doing? How do we... Uh, love God with our mind in our vocation. How do we love God with our strength? Well, that's easy. We can work hard. Uh, but are, are we developing our minds? Are we developing our hearts uh, as we work? Uh, I'm going to read a story here in closing. And uh, then, Lavelle, do you have a song that you could have prepared? And I think this is a story of someone who was trying to find his vocation and, and found an interesting, uh, unusual fit for himself. But what he did is he, he, he really put his heart into it in an unusual and extraordinary kind of way. It's a story from Tony Campolo about a mailman. And it goes like this. One Friday, a young professor of English literature at a state university walked into the academic dean's office and announced that he would not be back on Monday to teach. He was quitting. The dean explained that there was no way he could just walk out on his contract. If he quit, he had no future in teaching. He would be blackballed for any job for which he applied at any other school. To all of this, the young professor simply shrugged his shoulders and said, that's okay. His mother called me and told me what he had done. She asked me to go talk to him. After all, if he did not teach, what else could he, what, what else could he do with a PhD in English, English literature? Conceding to the plea of his mother, I went to see him. He was living in an attic apartment in Trenton, New Jersey. It was one of those with, within, with it lofts, decorated with interesting posters and bookcases full of books. I don't know how to say that one word. He told me to sit down in a beanbag chair. The thing was like a giant amiibo, and I felt almost devoured by it. He looked at me and said, I quit. That's all there is to it. I couldn't stand it anymore. Every time I walked into that classroom, I died a little bit. I understood what he was talking about because I myself was a college teacher at the time. 
I knew, that, I knew what it was like to walk into a classroom and pour your heart out for truth, truth wrenched from suffering and pain, gleaned from the sorrow of human existence. And after you cry and bleed for truth, some student in the last row raises a hand and asks, do we have to know this for the final? <laughs> and a college professor dies a little bit. After a while, I was aware that there was no way to dissuade him from his decision. Well, what are you, what, what are you doing now to make a living, I asked. I'm a mailman, was his answer. A PhD mailman. Now that's something, I responded. He laughed and said, there really aren't too many of us out there. Being raised on a Protestant ethic, I then said that you would expect what you would expect me to say. Well, if you're going to be a mailman, be the best mailman you can possibly be. I'm a lousy mailman, he answered with a laugh. Everybody else in my post, post office gets the mail delivered by 2.30 in the afternoon, or, or 3 at the latest. I never get it delivered until f about 5. What takes you so long, I inquired. I visit, he said. You can't imagine how many people on my route never got visited until I became the mailman. There are interesting people on my route who are interested in literature. There are hurting people who need the comfort that comes from the great poets. There are people who read and want to share what they've learned. I can't go to sleep at night. And when I asked him why, he said, it's hard to go to sleep after you've drunk 20 cups of coffee. <laughs> I wasn't surprised when I found out that the following year, the following year that the people of his mail route had gotten together and thrown a surprise birthday party for him at the local American Legion Hall. He was special to them, and they were special to him. His mail route had become a mission field. Work should be a way of living out our commitments and our love for people. So far as it is possible, we should settle for nothing less. Work should be a means for spiritual fulfillment. So again, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I think this man put a lot of heart into the people that he was serving, even though it was completely outside of his league or outside of what he should have been doing. Um, any, uh, maybe I should just, I don't know, somebody mentioned we should open it up for questions. Or any thoughts, any response, any, maybe a few minutes. Any other ideas? All right. Well, I hope that we were inspired somehow to think about how our vocation and all of our lives can be used for building the kingdom, for calling people into that kingdom, and for restoring the world that has been broken uh, through the fall. Lavelle, why don't you lead us in a song, and then John Lewis, I'll let you close however you wish. Let's sing number 904. 904.
It's good to be here this evening and bless and get excited about going to work tomorrow. Um, and I think probably all of us get excited about using what God has given us um, to glorify him. And thanks so much for um, Chris and committee for getting it together and for you who shared. Um, I was inspired. I was just thinking about how much we're blessed here in our, our nation and thinking about how much we can have to give to others, and I thought about, you know, the biggest gift that we should be going to work for is passing on the gospel to the people around us, and let's don't forget that. We've been blessed to be given that gospel. Let's make sure um, we go to work, and um, we use our talents and gifts to be able to pass that gospel on to people around us. Let's stand together for prayer. God, thank you for the evening um, like this to inspire us, to encourage us, to get excited about sharing um, your word and sharing what you've given us to people around us in our workplace. Um, thank you that we have jobs and have um, food to eat and have um, an opportunity to, to pass on what you've given to us. Um, help us to get excited about passing on the gospel to the people around us, uh, wherever we're at, whether it's at work or whether it's... Um, uh, interaction with people, or whether it's at home, um, as people come to us, just help us to be willing to um, pass that on to people around us. Um, yeah, help us to get excited about going to work tomorrow and um, using our vocation to honor and glorify you. Thank you for the group here. Um, thank you for the power in your word and what you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen.